1: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
2: Millions of people watched all or part of the Mother of All Talk Shows over the last 10 days. I mean millions of people. I can only be specific about the 2.59 millions who watched all or part of the Mother of All Talk Shows on the mainstream platforms that can be checked right now by any one of you. 2.59 million in 10 days. But I cannot count the viral quality of the pirate clip, which has now been repirated and repirated in Arabic in particular, all over the world. But I can hazard a guess that at least another 2.59 million have seen that clip. I mention it not just because I'm proud of it, why wouldn't I be, why wouldn't my team be, but to show to you that you are a part of a family now growing vast, dwarfing all other comparable television ventures anywhere in the world. If I tell you that BBC Question Time tomorrow night will get an audience of around 220,000, you can put into perspective the kind of numbers that we are now racking up with no advertising budget, with no cross-media fertilization, not a single person or organ of the mainstream media ever mentions the existence of the mother of all talk shows. This is all down to you. It's you who have kept this audience growing and it's your word of mouth that is ensuring it is into the stratosphere now. And Ravi, our sponsor for the first hour, will need to be joined by a new sponsor for our second hour. I'll talk about that very shortly. Now, I was very privileged to be there in Havana, in Cuba, when Fidel Castro, 30 years ago or more, denounced the so-called NGOs, non-government organizations they call themselves. Back then, there were some non-government organizations. I myself was the head of one of them for three years in the 1980s. But, Increasingly, those NGOs really should drop the end because they are government organizations. Fidel called them Trojan horses and banned them from Cuba and called upon all like-minded leaders throughout the developing world to kick these Trojan horses out of their gates. And it was a perfect crystallization of what I, even in the 1980s, had begun to see. These NGOs, whilst no doubt their volunteers and some at least of their staff are not doing it for the increasingly large salaries, but out of the goodness of their hearts, kind of vocation, the people that volunteer in charity shops and so on, I make no criticism at all of them. But these organizations increasingly are a tool for the Western governments, which increasingly supply most of their money. The bigger the charity, the bigger the NGO, the more likely their state, or in the case of the EU, an agglomeration of states are funding their operations. And of course, there's no such thing as a free lunch. That lunch comes with strings. And those strings are that these NGOs increasingly have to follow the diktat. And some of them do it very willingly indeed of the so-called human rights narrative of the so-called rules-based order, which is effectively American rules and the basis of international relations over the unipolar period which is now rapidly coming to an end. The United States and its loyal satrapies decide what the rules are with no legal basis whatsoever, never mind a decision of the world's governing body, the United Nations and its Security Council, and they ruthlessly impose them on countries. They send in the economic hitmen to do the job and hope that by strapping a yoke of indebtedness onto developing countries, they can keep them in line, secure their votes in the United Nations, get their level of debt through international institutions that they control, like the World Bank and the IMF. But if the economic hitmen don't work, then the jackals come next. The jackals kill people. That's their job. If the economic hitman doesn't get you, the jackal will get you. And if the jackal can't get you, as in the case of Fidel Castro, for example, then the military is more than ready to move in. In some cases, all three are present at the same time. Mali is a case in point. In the French colony of Mali, The economic hitmen were in for a very long time. The jackals have been ever-present. The day of the jackal in Mali has been every day since independence. And even the French military, the so-called Foreign Legion, have been repeatedly sent, interposed into internal affairs in Mali. And murder and mayhem has been the result. But Mali now has a president. That is standing up to French colonialism, and he has booted out the Trojan horses of the French so-called NGOs. We'll be talking to an Africa expert on this very subject in just a few minutes time. I mentioned Trudeau earlier, hypocrite of the 21st century. I myself think that he wins that prize out the park for a whole range of things. You've seen him in blackface, though he is achingly concerned about anything that might possibly be described as racism. And you see him now denouncing China for its attitude to lockdown protests when he led his own stormtroopers, who included a cabinet discussion about sending in the Canadian military to destroy the truckers' protest against COVID-19 protests in his own country of Canada. He didn't, in the end, send the army, but he sent the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, by the score, by the hundreds. He froze the bank accounts of those truckers, blue-collar workers who were merely protesting the restrictions on their ability to work for a living and feed their families on what they regarded, whether they were right or wrong, as a bogus scientific and medical prospectus. He literally stole their money. He froze their bank accounts. He hunted down in association with the U.S. government of Joe Biden, the personal bank accounts of American donors to those trucker protesters. He denounced as Trumpian, even fascist, anyone who stood up to the zero-COVID pretensions of the great pretender, Justin Trudeau. But when the Chinese came onto the streets in comparatively small numbers, China is a country of 1.5 billion people after all, out came Trudeau onto the steps with the microphone, denouncing China and hailing the anti-lockdown protesters in China as freedom fighters. But Trudeau was not alone. The British media, for example, which literally ignored completely the existence of huge protests throughout the United Kingdom, but particularly in London, throughout the COVID-19 emergency, even when those protests were literally under their window in the case of the BBC. Thousands of people rallied outside the BBC, protesting at the perceived one-sidedness of their narrative on the coronavirus crisis and they didn't even put a camera out of their own window to film it. And if they did, they certainly never broadcast it. It never happened, you see, for the great majority of the British people. And the same was true of all the television companies. Same was true of all the fancy newspapers in Britain and in the United States of America. Countries like Sweden that took a different line on COVID-19 were regularly denounced as outliers, as outlaws, as renegades, even though now that we look back on it, their record of excess deaths was less than ours, and they had none of the economic carnage and other carnage that our policies of COVID created. In the United States, 1.3 1.3 million people are said to have died from the coronavirus-19 uh, uh, pandemic. In China, it's 5,000. 5,000 in a country of 1.5 billion. In the United States, almost 1.3 million. You do the maths and see whose approach, whose attitude to coronavirus pandemic measures and lockdowns worked and whose didn't. Now, of course, Chinese people must be desperately tired of the terrific level of restrictions imposed by the Chinese state to keep that 5,000 number down close to where it is. Who wouldn't be? I now look back on the two years of my life that we all partially lost as a result of COVID-19 with something akin to disbelief. Disbelief, in my case, uh, believing all of the propaganda that the medical profession and the big pharma gave me. Disbelief that our society, our children, our health service, our economy lost so much out of a virus whose, if you like, origin we remain utterly oblivious of. We still don't know if it was man-made. If it was man-made, who made it? And if it was man-made, for what purpose? Did it come from a pangolin or a bat? We don't know. Any of these things, and yet millions of people have died, and trillions of dollars of economic wreckage lie behind us and are now used to justify the economic freeze that we are now beginning to be in the middle of. Who knows whose approach was right? I don't. Everyone has a different point of view on that. But China's attitude to COVID-19 is China's business. Not Trudeau's, not Joe Biden's, not the Guardian's or the New York Times. It is the business of China. And time will tell how effective this latest crackdown on COVID-19 in China turns out to be. And at what cost? Because there is no point in pretending that measures that are taken and that may or may not be successful don't have commensurate damage or impact somewhere else in the economy and in the society. Ursula von der Leyen, the gauleiter of the European Union Commission, made the mistake of speaking the truth to camera about the death toll of Ukrainian forces in the Russian-NATO-Ukraine war. They cut out it was such a big mistake once it had been broadcast once. But luckily, some clever people captured the first broadcast. And in it, von der Leyen says that more than 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed since February 25 of this year, that is to say in less than a year. On the basis that in every war between 2.5 and three times the number of people are wounded as are killed, that means close to half a million casualties in Ukraine in just 10 months. This means the cost of the war that Joe Biden and NATO are insisting must continue, has reached stratospheric levels, catastrophic levels. The damage to Ukrainian society will not be recovered from for generations to come. In Kiev now, there is no lights and no water and no heating, although there's always lights for Zelensky's. Television appearances and his Vogue and Vanity Fair photo shoots. But for the great mass of the suffering people of the great city of Kiev, which I visited many times and adored and loved with all my heart, are suffering that you cannot go to the toilet above the second floor of the high rise buildings in which many. Maybe most of the people of Kiev now live, because you need electricity to work the pumps, to work the toilet. Just think about that, if you will. It's very cold here in the United Kingdom, on this the 30th of November, but not nearly as cold as it is in Ukraine and not nearly as cold in Ukraine on the 30th of November as it will be on the 30th of December, the 30th of January, and the 30th uh, of the 28th of February. It is a nightmare that the people of Ukraine are now living through, and all because of the US and EU organized coup to overthrow the elected government in Ukraine in 2014 and the mass murder of thousands of their own people carried out by the regime that came to power by violent coup setting their parliament on fire and their president to flee. Those eight years since 2014 have wreaked a death toll which is now reaching catastrophic levels. If van der Leyen is accurate, then the number of dead soldiers and the number of inexorably wounded and maimed soldiers is a scar on the face of Ukraine that will never heal. And of course, all attempts to reach a negotiated settlement, whether brokered by President Erdogan in Turkey or others, have fallen on stony ground because of the absolute insistence of Western leaders that the government in Kiev not conclude a peace with Russia that will satisfy Russia's legitimate security concerns. And so the war goes on, and with General Winter now on the battlefield, the future is bleak indeed. East of the Dnipro... Very soon, all Ukrainian military units will be destroyed or will have surrendered. And then the focus moves to the south, to Ukraine's coast, to places like Odessa and other great Russian civilizations that have been in the hands of a country which had been handed over to NATO to the United States of America, and to the Biden crime family itself for the production of deadly pathogens in U.S. owned and controlled biolabs seeded throughout the territory of the Ukraine, but mainly in the east of the country as close as possible to the Russian frontier. I've spoken too long, but it's important. What I've had to say, fasten your seat belts. It really is the mother of all talk shows. Hey, I'm Ryan
0: Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!"
1: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
3: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: got a poll running. The West is being hypocritical in condemning China's COVID lockdown policies. A yes, B no. You can vote on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel or my Telegram channel, which is t.me forward slash George Galloway. It is overwhelmingly a yes. On Twitter, 89% yes. On YouTube, 91% yes. And on Telegram, 95% yes. It makes you wonder what these Hypocrites imagine the public to be. Do they think the public doesn't realize that this is just another stick to beat China with? Another section of the hellish orchestra that is mustered. Each section called in whenever it is thought likely to be efficacious. Now we can add another one. COVID lockdown policies. Now, there's a ghost on Twitter, and that ghost is the ghost of Garland Nixon. He's one of my best friends in American media. He's one of our most popular commentators. Yet the real Garland Nixon has been banned in perpetuity by the new regime of Elon Musk that was supposed to be putting an end to all of these things. However, Garland is not an apparition. He's as large as life and he's here and always will be on the mother of all talk shows. Garland Nixon, welcome. Let's start with your uh, Twitter status. Um, Any chance of Musk uh, reinstating you?
4: Well, um, I'm starting to feel that that's less and less likely because um, I was, in fact, uh, for a satirical tweet, it was clearly a comedic tweet. Um, I did a little to-do list for Tony Blinken, and I said, you know, on his to-do list was things such as blow up the Nord Stream pipeline and strangle Palestinians and uh, overthrow the government of um, of Pakistan. It was clearly satire, and um, I, received a, um, I received a message from Twitter that said, I will be suspended, but you can appeal. I attempted to appeal and I immediately got an email that said, you can't appeal, you're suspended for life. Well, a few days later, I decided, well, if I'm suspended for life, why don't I give death a shot? So I opened another account and I called it Garland Nixon's ghost. And that lasted a few days. And now that has been, uh, as was the first account, the ghost is now um, a thing of the past. So basically I'm suspended from Twitter for life. I would add the interesting thing that was that the day that I was suspended, Um, Dan Cohen, a great investigative journalist, um, did a bit of investigation on Twitter and he found that um, a huge number of NAFO trolls had gotten together. They all sent a request to Twitter for me to be um, expelled, and apparently as a result of this organized NAFO troll, which as we know is an intelligence operation from the US government, um, Twitter sent in the responses that said, we received your complaint, and as a result, Garland Nixon has been permanently suspended from Twitter. So, I mean, by proxy, certainly, but it was a government intelligence operation utilizing NAFO trolls to get me suspended for a satirical tweet and what they said was hate that is it was hateful conduct. interestingly enough since then a lot of people have sent me many other tweets where people called for assassinations, murders, Donald Trump to be um, a military firing squad, Alan Dershowitz on all of these other tweets none of which seemed to be hateful conduct but you know I think I stepped on the third rail I went after the the Empire's uh, foreign policy.
2: Well, uh, in one way, it's a badge of honor, but it deprives the rest of us of the pearls of wisdom and satire that you were famous uh, for. Any way of, I mean, Musk says that he's reinstating. uh, I think it's something like 60,000 permanently banned accounts. Why would yours not be among them?
4: That's a good question. Well, you know, about a day afterwards, you know, there were, interestingly enough, I don't know if I had anything to do with it. There were probably a number of people, but um, my particular. Um, account went viral, and a lot of people. Um, I mean, there were TikTok videos seeing uh, hundreds of thousands of, of of views, et cetera. And uh, people, you know, basically made a lot of points. This guy's former law enforcement officer. He's former um, National Board of Directors for the ACLU. He's gotten awards for fighting for free speech and things of that nature for the American Civil Liberties Union. And you're going to throw this guy off for a joke. And uh, but at any rate, within 24 hours. Um, Elon Musk did a poll and he said, you know, should I suspend all accounts other than ones who have, were involved in criminal activity or egregious spamming, 77% of the people said yes. And then he said, you know, Vox Populi, Vox Dei, meaning the word of the people is the word of God. It's going to happen next week. So today is Wednesday. According to his edict, uh, according to his claim, that would mean that I would be, would be reinstated sometime this week. But again." The question is: Does the U.S. Uh, 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 you know does the U.S. empire still hold some kind of veto power over Twitter, so they can just say, "Yeah, well, you, you, only certain people are, are allowed back on," or maybe his claim will be overridden by the U.S. Um, the, by the State Department, and they'll say, "You know, you can't allow anyone back on." The question is: Does he own Twitter? Is he in charge of it? I, I guess we'll see. The week is will be over. What? Saturday night?
2: Yeah, uh, of course. It's not just the uh, U.S. government. The EU issued a public statement today. You'd think they'd be embarrassed. This is a group of countries that call themselves the free world. This is a group of countries that are forever telling us how they cherish freedom and freedom of speech and so on. They issued an edict that Twitter faced a ban in the european union if it allowed people that it had previously suspended uh, back onto the platform Uh, i could i had to read it twice uh, to actually uh, convince myself that it was real this is a set of governments openly warning a private media company about who it will be allowed to engage with or uh, to use its uh, platforms. So, Musk is between the United States government and the EU. To be fair to him, it's not an enviable place.
4: Yes. And, well, what's happening here is the truth is coming out. The reality is that we have a discussion about free speech on Twitter, but it's not really about free speech. This is the truth is it is the opposite. It is about the. Um, the US government the US Empire and its vassals um, putting forward misinformation disinformation or particular narratives that are extremely brittle and easily debunked they cannot afford this is you know I've referred to this as a, um, a a crisis of an epistemological crisis how do you know what you know how what kind of discussion do you have about how the things that we believe those discussions are important in that the u.s uh, State Department NATO the EU put forward narratives that are absurd and often easily debunked, they cannot afford for people to have critical um, discussions, intellectual discussions involving critical thinking uh, on these platforms to discuss these silly um, uh, narratives that they put forth. So this is, in a way it's a good thing because the truth is coming out, they are shutting people, you know, you can, here's the bottom line, you can make hateful, um, violent, vicious comments about people or groups that have been targeted by the U.S. empire and its vassals. But any, any members of the U.S. empire or, or, or its vassals or, or, or its particular narratives must be protected at all costs. And the truth is coming out.
2: Now, uh, talking of, uh, of uh, propaganda, uh, what do you make of, uh, I don't know if it's the same in the U.S., but here in uh, Europe and in Canada for sure. There's uh, an all-out assault on China over its lockdown policies. And there's not even a hint of embarrassment uh, from the people who pursued exactly the same lockdown policies and treated the protesters against them as arch criminals, if not fascists. Is it the same in the U.S.?
4: It's it's absolutely the same in, in the in the us and i think about people like you and i who discussed the truckers if you remember the truckers in um up in canada who were doing what they were pushing back against government policies regarding covid and at the time you know they were more conservative people but I, i'm a left-leaning person but i saw it as a populist movement and i saw it as a positive thing for society and i supported the, their their right to do that they were called nazis uh, from people who actually Actually, do materially support Nazis right now. There's another bit of irony there, but they were called Nazis, and eventually the Canadian government, you know, sent the the the, uh, the heavy-handed uh, guys in the black uniforms in to take them apart. And uh, their um, they had people who contributed to them had their um, bank accounts frozen. I mean, they did all kinds of totalitarian actions against them. And now there are some. Um, Protests in China, but how about if we start here? You told us it was a totalitarian, authoritarian government, and that if there were protests, the people would all be immediately mowed down with machine guns. It seems to me that they are having their right to protest respected it, 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 more so than the truckers in Canada. And as you said, these are the people who were in favor of lockdowns and put down protests that opposed the um, COVID policies here. And now, once again, they're exposing themselves. People are looking at them and, you know, It's a good thing, as far as I'm concerned, when they so blatantly and openly expose the hypocrisy of their policies. They don't really stand for any policies, as it were. It's all about who is the enemy and how can we go? Another human rights um, joke that they're using to go after, to smite their adversaries.
2: Now, uh, the war drags on, uh, Garland, uh, largely at your expense. Uh, though the ultimate price is paid by the dead bodies of Ukrainians and the freezing bodies of those Ukrainians not yet killed in this bloody war, which has now dragged on for the best part of a year, uh, 10 months uh, to be precise. Um, How is it seen from the U.S.? Von der Leyen is caught on camera footage is out today saying that 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers have died in the war, which means that two to three times that number have been wounded, maimed in the conflict. So uh, more than 400,000 people killed or wounded in 10 months. Uh, How many dead Ukrainians is the U.S. government prepared to pay?
4: In a nutshell. All of them until they run out. And then if they can do Poles or Romanians or any other group that they'd be perfectly happy to do that. A big part of the discussion regarding, uh, particularly now, the last few days, um, the big uh, news story in the U.S. regarding that is Emmanuel Macron's visit to um, Washington, D.C. As I said, I'm four blocks from the White House right now in my office. That's K Street right behind me. So Macron's probably not far away. And uh, the news is reporting that uh, significant... uh, uh, reports that the um the europeans are furious because uh the united states is profiting greatly you know because of the war profiteering and also the u.s is um removing uh in you know is basically deindustrializing um the eu and bringing the industry to the united states and that there's uh there's a a a good amount of enmity coming what is macron going to say and you know you and i have discussed that significantly in the past in my opinion He's gonna, he's gonna do the same thing that Olaf Scholz came here uh, and did when he was uh, discussing the Nord Stream 2. He's gonna keep his mouth shut. He's gonna do what he's told. And when he goes back, he's gonna do his job. The ruling elite in the EU understand that their job is to pacify the masses in Europe as long as they possibly can while the United States c- continues to profiteer and to take the industry of Europe and bring it here. They have to give the illusion. They have to be controlled opposition Macron, Schultz, etc., they'll pound their fists, they'll weep, and they'll gnash their teeth, and they will try to give their constituents the illusion that they're standing up to fight against the U.S., taking their heavy industry, when in fact they are nothing but collaborators. And I don't know if the European people do do that, but the, the, here's here's the truth. The Americans are laughing at them. Americans are looking at the Europeans saying, you people are suckers. We all know what they're doing over here. We are sitting here saying we can't believe that you guys are just going to sit there and allow Biden and his people to rob you blind and take your industry. So to be quite frank, I mean, the conversation over here is, well, if the Europeans are suckers, That's what suckers are for. You're supposed to take the money of a sucker. As PT Barnum said, it's against the, 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 the laws of God and nature to allow a sucker to keep his money. Now, I feel horrible for the people of Europe because they are being misled and lied to and and they truly believe unfortunately that their leaders are looking out for them they're complicit and they're over here helping Biden steal your jobs and they're going to end up with nothing but that's the that's actually the discussion here Americans understand what's going on and most of us can't believe that the Europeans will just sit there and allow that to happen
2: I am Garland Nixon we are all Garland Nixon if this Account is not reinstated by the end of this week. Further measures will be organized by the viewers of the Mother of All Talk Shows. Garland, thanks as always for joining us. Let's go to the phone lines. Cheryl is in Oklahoma. Go ahead, Cheryl. Thank you, Mr.
5: Galloway. And may I call you George?
2: (laughs) Yes, of course, ma'am. Go ahead, please.
5: (laughs) Well, this is Cheryl. And uh, I have followed you and admired you for so many years. It's just quite a pleasure, lovely to talk to you today. and
2: uh, Thank you so much.
5: Oh, well, you, you're more than worth it. <laughs> you deserve it. Um, the reason I called is I don't know whether you've kept up much with the uh, rail workers strike here in America, and I will fill you in if you haven't. If not, uh, you can give me your views on it.
2: No, uh, please, uh, I I know about it, and I know that Joe Biden has just betrayed them, and I know that the so-called squad progressives have sided with Joe Biden and betrayed the railway workers, but in your words, in a nutshell, tell us what's happened. Well,
5: you're right up to then, but the squad pulled a little trick. They refused to give them maybe in seven days of sick leave. They refused to include that in the bill, but they stuck on a provision for seven days of sick leave. But that's just for show because the Senate doesn't have to approve the provision. So what they're going to do is they will not. You know, they won't. They'll pass Biden's bill. And the head of the union says the workers will go back to work if they're forced to which I'm hoping they don't. I mean, if they don't stand up now, uh, workers and unions are ruined in America.
2: Well, I think that's very powerfully put, uh, Cheryl. Uh, We must all hang together or each of us will hang separately. And uh, we have long, bitter experience of our uh, crack troops uh, in trade union terms being picked off one after the other, with the others not joining in when they could, if united, have stopped the defeat of one and therefore ultimately all. Uh, so uh, the railway workers fulfil that role in the United States, a country that is uh, little unionized nowadays. But the railway workers and the transport workers, the teamsters and so on, are highly organized. Workers And if they can be betrayed and defeated, then no one has the power to stand up. Last word to you, Cheryl. Well,
5: uh, that's right. I just uh, think that this is a hill worth dying on. And I really hope Americans say enough is enough, you know,
2: before it's way too late. God bless you. (laughs) God bless you and the great state of Oklahoma and all the railway workers in the United States of America. Rafael is on the line from Vermont. Go ahead, Raf. Hey
6: guys, I wanted to talk about uh, that EU thing, you know, about that tribunal, but I'm not going to do it because you guys just covered that. I want to cover something different. Medvedev, M- he said something, you know, when Russia were about to invade, that last, that last meeting he had with Putin, and he told Putin, remember that, Old Russian proverb that said, "Don't give them anything, because later they are the one that gonna come and give you give you everything and things you did not even ask for." And I, I've never seen this in my life. The guy was prophetic because after I watch what is going on right now, the West is in disarray. That means there is no they did not have a plan. And 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 right now they are freestyling. They don't know what they're doing. There is no coherence in what they are doing and what they are saying. And the main reason I'm saying this is I'm a military guy. They said never never do never say anything if you are not if you know you cannot do it. Think about it. Because they have the Western media with them, nobody pay attention to that. But somebody like you, I know, you understand that. Understand, United States told Ukraine, I'm going to give you the Patriot missile. Medvedev came and said, listen, if you, put, if you bring those missiles, those, the Patriot missile, Not only we're going to attack them, we're going to kill anybody that is around them. And all of a sudden, the United States was like, okay, we're not going to give it to you. This is not...
2: This this is no... Yeah, uh, it's a state of uh, chaos. Uh, We've now had a detective and a retired military man in quick succession, and both of them speaking plain common sense. Uh, It is uh, fatal to ask the uh, former government of Afghanistan, anyone remember his name? (laughs) Anyone remember the name of the guy who was president of Afghanistan just a few months ago with red carpets and gold-embroidered gowns and uh, fancy limousines? Anyone remember his name? None of you remember his name. He's the ex-president of Afghanistan and he couldn't be more ex. Those that rely on the promises of the United States are doomed, not just to disappointment, but to fleeing into exile with as many ill-gotten gains as they can carry. Peter is in Alabama on Ukraine. We're getting about the Americas tonight. Go ahead, Peter.
1: Hey, George, thank you for having me. Um, I read on RT this morning that uh, Russian intelligence uh, is claiming that Poland has plans to reclaim uh, the the lands of uh, Western Ukraine that, you know, historically have belonged to them. And that doesn't come as a surprise. That's something that Scott Ritter predicted, you know, pretty early on in this fight. Um, The only thing that that has surprised me is why the Poles have sided with Ukraine in the first place, is how, how can they have such short memories with everything the the organization of for you know Ukrainian nationalism did to, to to Polish people during World War II and how they got those lands in the first place and now it's you know so many Polish soldiers have been killed fighting for this and i guess my 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 question is is there strategy to um, sacrifice as many Poles you know you know they're going to fight they're going to fight this war up to the last pole with the plan that once this is over, um, they can almost like guilt trip or blackmail Ukraine into giving them their lands back. Um, it just seems like such a dumb strategy. It seemed like it would have made more sense to just stay neutral um, till this is all over and then talk about reparations, like what they've been doing with Germany, um, which I don't have a lot of opinions on that. Or if anything, side with Russia, uh, you know, out of anger for who Stefan Mandara was and and what Ukrainian Nazis have done to the Polish people in the past. And so just the strategy of them sacrificing so many lives with the plan of of regaining this land just seems so backwards to me. And I'm I'm a Roman Catholic like you. And, you know, from the outside, I'm always told Poland is a very, very Catholic country. And it's just so disappointing for them um, to have sided this way. if the, if the land is there, the land is there. Well, uh, probably, uh, I
2: think, uh, thanks, uh, Peter. I, I, I cut you short only because of the hour. The call was of the highest standard. Uh, the, uh, the thinking, I assume, is that having done everything they can to assist Ukraine, when the Western Ukrainian state falls into a state of collapse, uh, they will then move in to keep order and to protect uh, the ancient Polish lands, particularly the great Polish city of Lvov, uh, which they absolutely consider to be theirs. As, as, uh, as uh, English as, uh, uh, as Milton Keynes, uh, the uh, Poles regard Lvov as a Polish city, and I suppose uh, a position of neutrality or even belligerence towards the Ukrainian nationalists, whom, as you say, murdered hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Poles, uh, including Polish and Ukrainian Jews, in their collaboration with the Nazi occupation in the Eastern Holocaust, uh, would not have allowed them to pick off the carcass of Western Ukraine quite so honourably from quite such a moral high ground as the one that they now intend to use. The Polish regime intends on what they call uh, establishing an intermare, a corridor of territory between the Black Sea and the Baltics, which uh, will again be uh, a revanchist Polish nationalist territory. That's their game plan. We'll see if it works out Uh, Now, William Sakwa, as I said, is a Pan-African, a contributor for African Stream, and a man who knows his onions so far as Mali is concerned. I want to talk first, William, about Mali, but we'll broaden it, I'm sure, uh, to the question of colonialism in Africa and the need for Pan-Africanism. But let's start with Mali, may we? Uh, It's a very significant development that Mali has booted out what Fidel called the Trojan horses of the NGO industry. How did all that come about?
7: So the problem with uh, the NGOs in Mali was that they're not really non-governmental organizations and what led to them being kicked out in the first place was the fact that France withdrew its assistance to Mali following the coup d'etat that was itself sparked by the government's failure to deal with the terrorist problem created by France itself.
2: Well, uh, I I talked earlier in my introduction uh, about the the triptych of the economic hitmen, the jackals that do the dirty work if the economic hitmen can't get you, and ultimately the army if the jackals can't do the job. Mali has suffered all three, hasn't it?
7: It really has. It really has. And I think what's even most interesting about this whole debacle is that the problems originate from France. Uh, Mali suffers a terrorist problem that was created when France invaded Libya to depose Gaddafi and led to creation of uh, slave markets in what was once Africa's wealthiest state. So, I mean, after Gaddafi's Ulster, we have all these groups Trickling uh, back down the Sahel that led to the rise of uh, jihadism across the Sahel region, and then you have uh, allegations of France itself supporting the problems he created. Uh, we saw during uh, one of the Mali officials called for a UN Security Council meeting to discuss uh, France's assistance in uh, to the terrorist groups in Mali itself. So. Yeah, there's a very clear line we are drawing France to the problems in Mali, be it economically through ECOWAS. We saw after the coup happened, uh, France used uh, pressured pressure ECOWAS countries to impose sanctions on Mali, even when these sanctions did not go uh, to the interests of the African states. Take Senegal, for example, who does a great deal of trade with Mali. They had to follow the sanctions, but they do not benefit from the sanctions themselves.
2: Well, uh, we'll come on to uh, Africa and and Russia, Moscow uh, in a minute, but before I leave the issue of French colonialism, I'm not saying that uh, French imperialism is any better or any worse than any of the other European imperialisms. Indeed, if you were to uh, draw up a league table of morbidity, probably the Belgian colonists were worse even than the French, but the British would take top prize because of the sheer scale uh, of their colonial avarice uh, in Africa. But am I right in saying that of the three that I've just mentioned, and the Portuguese, Spanish, and Italian are no longer of much uh, significance, it is the French that have endured the longest. They continue uh, to cling on in seeking to decide what happens in Africa, who's in power in Africa, what currency they use, what economic policies they follow. Uh, is this because uh, for the French, the empire never died? Uh, what is it? What's peculiar about French colonialism?
7: Uh, well, France needs Africa to survive. Without Africa, France will be what you know they call a third world country. Uh, Looking at uh, Niger, a country that produces a huge percentage of the uranium used in uh, the French nuclear industry, despite Niger producing a lot of what France needs, most of its people are poor. The uh, people working in the mines, the communities there, suffer the consequences of mining uh, these radioactive materials but get no benefits of it. Look at the CFA franc, the the colonial currency imposed on the West African countries where in exchange for independence, these countries had to hold half their foreign reserve holdings in France and had to take out loans of the money that they stored in France. They had to take loans for their own money. So this is just a few of many examples of how without Africa, France is another small European country, another Portugal, probably.
2: Now, of course, all the colonialists are deeply disappointed at Africa in its failure to follow the leader, Joe Biden, uh, into the uh, charge of the Light Brigade against Russia. Uh, Why is Africa so reluctant to take the American side against Russia and to join in the uh, chorus of uh, hostility towards China and its economic development on the continent?
7: One the biggest or the most prominent case study is Libya. Africans remember all too clearly uh, what happened with Gaddafi. Libya was okay. Libya did fine. It was the wealthiest country in Africa. And the one organization responsible for that changing was NATO through its uh, assassination of Gaddafi. And it just doesn't stop there. African history with the Russians goes way, way back. Uh, we can go back to how Cuba, Cuban and Soviet forces help the Angolans push back the apartheid South African forces. Uh, we can look at Cuban, uh, Soviet Cuban assistance in Ethiopia. There's also a whole history of you know uh, win-win uh, partnership between Russia and Africa. So that and the fact that the West itself is responsible for a lot of what ails Africa today is what you know is giving uh, Africa that clarity that you know. Why should we listen to what our enemy is telling us about their enemy? I mean, Africa can make its own enemies, as Museveni said when our foreign minister Lavrov visited Uganda a few months ago.
2: Well, of course, no African, uh, no uh, Russian rather, and no Chinese ever colonized Africa. It's not exactly rocket science. William, thanks uh, for that. Now there's a poll running. The West is being hypocritical in condemning China's COVID lockdown policies. A, yes, 93%, no, 7% on Twitter. Uh, On YouTube, yes, 93%, no, 7%. Telegram, 95%, yes, 5%, no. It is truly extraordinary, I must say. The total failure, epic fail of the hypocrites, of the Western media and political class in the condemnation of China's approach to lockdowns over COVID. I'll take a quick break, and then there's much more after this. As the green smoke rose, their faces flashed out pallid green, and faded again as it vanished. Then slowly the hissing passed into a humming, into a long, loud, droning noise. Suddenly a humped shape rose out of the pit and the ghost of a beam of light seemed to flicker out after it. Forthwith, flashes of actual flame A bright glare, leaping from one to another, sprang from the scattered group of men. It was as if some invisible jet impinged upon them and flashed into white flame. It was as if each man were suddenly and momentarily turned to fire. You'll love that, War of the Worlds. I'm loving reading it. As I've said before, it frightens the life out of me, and I'm the person reading it. Written, or first published, rather, by H.G. Wells in 1897 with extraordinarily prophetic, I mean, stunningly prophetic, uh, farsightedness, uh, Wells imagined an invasion of Martians of the earth of England in particular. It turns out, though, that it was actually an allegory of British colonialism in Africa, as we were just talking to William Saqua about. Let's go to Canada, where Lim is on the line, about the truckers. Go ahead, Leem.
3: Hello, George. Um, I appreciate you taking my call. So um, I've I've uh, been a long time um, opposer to the Canadian media's coverage of foreign foreign affairs, being a Syrian-born Canadian and um, knowing all the lies about the Iraq War, um, the invasion of Afghanistan, the uh, revolution, so-called revolutions of the Middle East, and so forth. But I never um, once uh, thought there would be any propaganda concerning domestic affairs, such as the truckers' um, protests of the COVID policies. So I was, uh, I was, um, I was okay with knowing that the RCMP stopped the protests, of truckers, because, according to the media we hear, and I don't live. Uh, anywhere close to where the trucks were demonstrating, so I wouldn't know personally. But what the media said is that they were um, funded by um, armor with them and weapons and whatnot. So um, I didn't see anything wrong with the government intervening. But I would like to ask you a genuine question, which uh, in no way is to inger- interrogate you or anything, but how do you know about um, the domestic propaganda uh, of, of our media like how do you know what they're saying is correct or not because um, I, d- I didn't even give it a second thought when I uh, when I heard that the protests were were
2: Well, I, ho- I hope you will uh, I uh, yeah well I hope you will next time give a, a second thought uh, because you already know that your government are liars and if your government will lie to you about Iraq about Russia about Israel-Palestine, about uh, Afghanistan, about Libya, about Syria. If you already know that they're a pack of liars, why believe them when they tell you that a section of your own community, people that look like you, talk like you, have the same accent as you, but who work for a living driving trucks, are goose-stepping Nazis and fascists. You really ought to. To have given a, a second thought, and I hope that you will in future. These yes, truckers I, were yes, blue-collar I, I, yeah. workers, Lim, trying to make a living, and they were—they had their bank accounts stolen by the government. How can that be justified? Last word to you, Lim. Well, um,
3: that's exactly why I called in—is to—is um, to ask how a person like me who was raised for most of their life in Canada but um, strongly opposes everything that Canada does uh, outside of Canada can be better informed about our domestic policies because really we only have one news channel, which is the CBC. And no other yes, country really uh, really focuses on Canada, according to what I know. I mean, I watch Al-Mayadeen, I see you on Kalima Hurra, I I don't hear much about Canada because, of course, we're just America's, uh, you know, (laughs) dogs in the end of the day. But um, how would I be better informed uh, on my...
2: Yeah, well, uh, you can be better informed by uh, being a regular viewer here because we covered the trucker story many times. Me and Garland Nixon had many significant interviews about it. Uh, But uh, in general, you know, the, the great Irish journalist Claude Coburn coined the phrase, nothing is true until it's been officially denied. If you want to extrapolate from that, work from the assumption that your government are liars and that you must drill down into anything they say, which you're already doing on international affairs and you must do on domestic affairs too. Wonderful to talk to you. Ronwell is in Chicago. Go ahead, Ronwell. (laughs) <laughs> hello george um, before, before i get to the uh,
6: COVID, um lockdowns and stuff um, on Janine Assange, um there, there are five major um outlets out there are enough for um dropping charges for assange just so you know and, and now on the COVID um uh, lockdowns um i feel like the uh, the, uh, the corporate press are being um, hypocrites uh, because i remember uh, they're they triggering about the um, the, the free, freedom truckers in Canada, some something like that. And now, and in some parts of the world, like a new thing, like they're being cited. And now that they're triggered, all the um um uh, uh, COVID uh, lockdowns in China. I, I mean, I feel like the world is being hypocrite on the one. I thought that's
2: really questioning. Well, uh, it's, uh, look, it's, uh, <laughs> listen, man, it's hypocrisy with a capital H, writ large, as high as a mountain. It is unbelievable that people who treated their own COVID sceptics with such savagery of rhetoric and sometimes physical violence, and in the case of Canada, financial penalty, seizing the money of truck drivers, because they had the temerity to stand up to their government's diktat, to now be hailing the Chinese COVID sceptics as freedom fighters and the Chinese government as somehow a tyranny. We'll be talking very shortly to Angelo Giuliano, uh, an American in China, about that very subject. Ronwell, thanks for the call. Nice to hear from you again. Uh, Boka Janduma gives six euros, a regular, regular donor, and uh, says, "I'm chipping in for Moats America." There you go, Moats America supported in the Netherlands. Barry Lim gives two pounds fifty. Hello gives two euros. What do you think of the World Cup games? Well, I'm watching them uh, avidly uh, and uh, have spoken at some length on Sunday. And on last Wednesday, about uh, the hypocrisy attached to World Cup coverage, uh, Nick M's Classic Boxing Channel, wow, gives £5. Pounds. I'm a big fan of you, George. Thank you, Nick. I'm a big boxing man myself. Kenneth gives one pound seventy nine. Africa will be the most populous continent by 2050. That's a new one on me, Kenneth. They'll have to go some, but... Certainly, Africa's future is golden if it can overthrow the shackles of U.S. and European colonialism. Golden silence gives two American dollars. Moats America, please, be the bridge for Gonzalo and Scott. That's a reference to the uh, bad blood between uh, Gonzalo, Lira, and Scott Ritter, both of whom are independently big friends of the mother of all talk shows. Paul is in Ottawa on the truckers. Go ahead, Paul. Uh,
0: Thanks for taking my call again, uh, George. Uh, Lots to say. Uh, Hopefully I can get uh, this as concise as I can. We do have more than one uh, uh, news station. Just want to let everybody know. CBC might be the number one, but uh, there are other news. uh, But they're all lock and step. Uh, with each other so you know you flip on one or you flip on the other you're hearing the same uh, talking points Yeah. Um, and especially when it comes to it, it I want to be clear it wasn't just truckers I would say the truckers were maybe 10% of the people that were actually down there 90% of the people when when it, when it would rock and roll during the uh, more in the evenings and and certainly on the weekends at least 90% of the people were just supporters of the truckers. They just got labeled truckers because that's the biggest thing is that there were like tanks coming in. And that was the real problem for the government was most protests, people come, they stand around, they're easily herded. These guys weren't going nowhere. I mean, you literally had to have uh, an army or, you know, the RCMP basically like the army and and going ahead and doing what they did um, so of course I mean I don't, I'm not a China hater China's done a lot of good things they're uh, bringing people out of poverty um, moving forward in but there's a lot of things about China that I don't like but it's their country uh, on the issue of these crazy lockdowns that they have there you you Trudeau got it right. Yeah. They shouldn't, they shouldn't, uh, they should have the right to protest and they should, but there's zero, you can't even put a paper between what he did and what, um, I I think he's even been worse than, than what China has been doing to, to their protesters. This was like emergency laws, freezing bank accounts, in any human being that is a free thinker, it wasn't just truckers that got it. was just people that you know gave fifty bucks or you know a hundred bucks, and they were like, "Yep, you're supporting a terrorist group. We're freezing your account." Now they didn't do uh, they didn't do everybody, but they sent a message: "Hey, look what we can do," which should be just. And unfortunately, that uh, lady that was on before, and I know she's got a great heart, but in her mind, because she was propagandized, um, she's like, well, you know, maybe it was a terrorist organization and maybe those people should have their... Well, it has to be.
2: I think she knows better. I think she knows better now. Paul, that was a great call, I must say, in summary. Uh, That was a summation of the situation that would be difficult to break. But we'll hear from China, Angelo Giuliano, coming up right after this short break. Stay tuned. We're charting now with our podcast in 130 countries and territories around the world. And we're in the top 10 in the United Arab Emirates, Indonesia, where we're number one, Croatia, Egypt, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Poland, and Nigeria, and even the Cayman Islands, even the tax dodgers. There's new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. You can listen to the very best of moats anywhere. And at any time, you can also get the episodes a day earlier if you are a supporter of mine on Patreon. All my live shows, it's my extensive podcast archive, my audio books narrated by me. So please uh, consider supporting me on Patreon. And get your Motes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a five-star review, will you. Well, I'm just reading here, our podcast is not only within the top 5% of the most followed podcasts in the world, and 47% of you aren't even subscribed to our podcast. So half of our audience have put us in the top 5% globally around the world, and we're number one in several countries, including some of the more unlikely, like Saudi Arabia, uh, so please continue to share the news of the podcast far and wide. Please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate it five stars. We're also one of the highest rated too. Angelo Giuliano is a great friend of the show. We've spoken to him many times before. He's a political and financial analyst and long-time resident of China, and he joins us now at an unearthly hour. Angelo, I'm really grateful to you uh, for that. Uh, We've got a poll running. Uh, The West is being hypocritical in condemning China's COVID lockdown policies. On Twitter, 93% say yes, they are being hypocritical. On YouTube, 93%. And on Telegram, 95%. So the
8: hypocrisy isn't working how does it look to you in China? Well, it's very interesting. I get, uh, I'm here on the ground, and I'm going to give you the scale of the protests uh, that made the headlines all around the world. If you ask average Joe in China, you ask, did you see the protest?" They will say, what? What protest? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to give you some figures. And uh, keep in mind that the China has 1.4 billion people. The protest last Saturday, the largest protest in all around China, the total was probably around 10,000 people protested in the street peacefully for a country of 1.4 billion people. I'm going to give you, I'm going to compare to what we had in Switzerland. In Switzerland, a country that is 200 times smaller than China, we had 100,000 people going to the streets because of COVID protest. So uh the in scales you know if you compare we are talking about a uh, protest 2000 uh, times less than what we had in Switzerland so it's a very tiny minority that doesn't you know that doesn't mean that some people uh, are discontent are tired of covid lockdown uh, to be honest I'm, I'm I do not agree with the zero covid policy uh I'm against vaccines as well but the question is uh, do the Chinese government need to please me or need to please the Chinese and right now at this present moment there is still a majority of people in China that agree with the government you need also to keep in mind that we are uh, China is basically in a hybrid war against the collective West. China has been attacked has been attacked on many many different fronts In Xinjiang, terrorists have been financed by the U.S. for uh, separatist, uh, uh, you know, uh, they've been financing separatist and terrorist groups actually in Xinjiang. They've been funding uh, separatist groups in Hong Kong. We had two attempts of color revolution in Hong Kong. And also, very important, China is very afraid of potential bio-warfare. Uh, You saw recently in Ukraine, we discovered there were lots of bio labs. Uh, What those bio labs are trying to do is to uh, find some virus that actually would match a certain DNA. Well, uh, COVID-19 is not the first time that China has such problem. Remember in 2003, China had SARS. SARS, the spread was not as wide as COVID-19. But the mortality rate, mortality rate was eleven percent. So China is very, very afraid. So when you look from outside, it seems like irrational. Why would they go through such pain to contain a, a virus that actually is no worse than the flu? Well, there are more reasons. And Chinese people they believe in their government because you know it's it's a very capable government. And they know that uh it's it's ultimately to save people to save life, but maybe there's also some reasons uh, that are related to bio warfare so important uh there's also something uh, so very very important that people need to understand that what happened in in china you uh, there is the foreign hands behind some protest here uh it's uh, somehow an attempt of color revolution how do current revolutions start usually they start with the legitimate grievances uh, this hijacked legitimate movement so when you look at what happened in shanghai there were some telegram channels which by the way those telegram channels they were open in october already some telegram channels were actually monitoring the protest if you look at who was in those telegram channels you had all the 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 major western news you had cnn you had radio free asia you had the new york times you had the sect falun gong which is financed by USAGM, propaganda arm of the us and very important the people managing those telegram channels were all chinese living outside china and actually also a prominent uh dissident there was actually Part of the 1989 color revolution attempt in Beijing, Tiananmen Square, which is, uh, who's financed by some, some, uh, some NGOs. So you see, they were taking uh, those protests in Shanghai. They were taking orders from outside China. So. Very, very important. They are well, that's le- pretty... Le, le,
2: let, me, let me wind that back because that's quite significant uh, news that you're bringing us. You're saying that one of the people organizing the Shanghai protests, which, as you said, uh, reached around 10,000 people across the whole of China, uh, one of the organizers was one of the organizers of the Tiananmen Square events. Who is this person
8: and where are they? Uh, while we are talking, I think it's Fan uh, Fanzhong. I'm going to get you the name. I, I don't have it. One second. Uh, Joe Fenso, I have, have his bio right here. Uh, Joe Fenso was a key student leader who helped organize the great democratic movement in Tiananmen Square. Well, keep in mind, it was nothing about democracy there. You know, there were savages. Uh, three hundred people died in reality in, in Tiananmen. Uh, actually, nobody died in Tiananmen Square, but in Beijing, that during that period, three hundred people died. But half of them, hundred fifty soldiers and policemen, were beaten to death. Some were even burned to burned to death. You know, so those are the real information about what happened back then. But this is one of the first color revolution that we experienced. Uh, so you see those people. Uh, 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 maybe in other places, in, in uh, uh, outside Shanghai, more inside, in third-year uh, 30, uh, uh, cities, uh, they were probably, you know, uh, organic uh, protests. But the scale, the scale for a country of 1.4 billion people, it was maximum 10,000 people protesting in 50 different cities. In some cases, in one city, you had only two or three protesters. That's how big it was. And uh,
2: let me ask this, why are the Chinese government so uh, firm uh, about lockdown? Um, They presumably pray in aid that only 5,000 people or so have died from COVID in China as compared to well over a million in the United States. And countries like Britain and France and Italy and so on also huge uh, death tolls, are they still as resolute and committed to the current policy, the policy they followed from the beginning? Or is there any crack appearing in intellectual circles, in political circles, about whether the cost of these lockdowns in economic terms and in terms of opportunity cost Money spent on uh, COVID cannot be spent on cancer uh, and on the mental health of the people uh, of being continually tested, continually locked down.
8: Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, if uh, uh, in early in the early days of COVID-19, the mortality rate was higher. If uh, you were to take the rates that we had in the US, uh, uh, for population of China would be 5 million people dying. And this would have been unacceptable for Chinese. Uh, the The responsibility of the government is to protect their people. But now, after three years, uh, there's a, a frustration. People uh, do want to open up and the government has listened. Uh, the, the last two days they're actually starting to relax the, the zero COVID policies and I think they are gradually getting out of this. Uh, I think it's absurd. It is an, an absurd policy, but they might have uh, uh, other reasons. Uh, but they want to go slowly because they're. Uh, it seems like they're, they're unprepared for a big wave all at once. You know, just the capacity, hospital capacity, is not there yet. And and keep in mind that they haven't forced people to take vaccines. So, you know, they're they worried that, especially for the older people, that uh, this would be a heavy cost to pay. And just uh, they have a different concept of life and 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 people's protection. Uh, they look at society as a whole. Uh, it's less individualistic. So this is why they've been so compliant when it comes to a zero-COVID policy. But things are changing, and the government is listening. Uh, it's going to relax and China is going to open up.
2: Now, there's been some good news for China this week. Uh, The uh, government in Taiwan, uh, widely held to be an instrument of the United States' anti-China policy uh, and harboring separatist ambitions, was roundly defeated in the local elections in Taiwan. And the KMT, Kuomintang, The traditional founders of Taiwan, who, whatever else you can say about them, are Chinese nationalists. They don't believe that Taiwan is a separate country from China. They had a very significant victory. Tell us about that.
8: Uh, Let me give you first the background of Tsai Ing-wen. Tsai Ing-wen was actually selected by the U.S. uh, already back in 2004. She was, uh, according to uh, some WikiLeaks cables, she was having secret meetings with AIT, which is the American Institute of Taiwan, which is, by the way, the de facto U.S. Embassy in Taiwan. So she's been working very closely with the U.S. Embassy there. And so they selected her and actually they groomed her and they, they made sure that she would be, you know, on the, on, on the front for being elected. So she is the replica for Taiwan. She's the replica of what you have uh, Zelensky in Ukraine. Exactly the same. Uh, Why? You know, because because for fifteen years she's been actually reporting to the U.S. Embassy. Just just make some research, you know, WikiLeaks, Taiwan, and you will see she had secret meetings already back then. So this is for the background. Now she's been elected in uh, two thousand. 20, why she was elected, it's because there was the, the the attempt of color revolution in Hong Kong. So they they, they started massively those those riots there uh, and the the support she had back then just before the riots in Hong Kong was 35%. After the riots, she went up to 60%. She, she was not popular on the first place, but she won because of fear-mongering about China. Now she's been ruling for a while and people are very unhappy. Why? Because she's been, the, she's been focusing too much on creating tensions uh, with their major trading economic partner because Taiwan is actually de facto reunited with the mainland. 50% of import and export of Taiwan is with the mainland. So it's de facto reunited with Taiwan. Uh, also, one more thing is that you have also two million Taiwanese that work in the mainland. So you have very, very deep connections. So she being dividing Taiwan and the mainland and people realize that, you know, you are supposed to work for well-being and you're focusing too much on geopolitics. Uh, so this, uh, the vote you had uh, last weekend was clearly a vote of no confidence. My biggest fear is that we are in 2024, when we are going to, they are going to re elect another president. Well, they are going, that they might do the same as they did in 2020, uh, start creating some clashes between mainland China and Taiwan, and that you would have actually again talks, you know, the fear mongering talks to To push Taiwanese to vote more for pro independence and keep in mind there's a uh why people are so much uh, uh, anti china whenever they hear china this china bad you know uh, there was a bill passed by the Congress on neg- uh, five hundred million dollars per year on negative coverage on China. Just think for one second how much can you do? with that money to manipulate the masses you know manufacture consent uh it's massive the bad coverage you're having about china but again you know you have deep cop pockets institutions that actually this is the, the 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 position of a loser why don't you fight china with you know normal means trade you know uh competition uh, there are other ways you know when you when you are playing sports why why would you be uh, go against the rule uh, just to, to you know kill your adversary and and, and and somehow just to be on the front uh, you know uh, paying for bad coverage of your opponent well, uh, uh, Angelo is low. Uh, yeah Angelo
2: let me as you brought up sport let me go left field on you I'm looking at the World Cup I'm seeing all kinds of countries, some of them absolutely tiny. Uruguay, for example, a population of 3.5 million, uh, only half of whom are men. Uh, so 1.75 uh, uh, million men. And they're in the World Cup finals every single time. In fact, they've won it twice. I see other small countries like Wales, uh, for example, and many others. Uh, where is China? Why is China not in the World Cup? Why are they not better at football than they currently appear
8: to be? Well, it is not a traditional sport in China. China has been going to football only uh, recently. China, they're good in other, other sports. It's just, it's just not what they do. I, I, you know, I, I'm Italian. I grew up in Switzerland. I started playing football in the street since I was five years old. You know, that's what you do. Uh, in China, what they start, the first sport they start playing are not. It's not football. You know, maybe maybe they might have some interest when they go to high school, but it's not like something which is deep in our culture. In Europe, you know, in some countries like Italy, Spain, we, you know, we we play, we breathe soccer. You know, that that's that's for a lot of kids. That's their lives. Uh, for China, you know, they like watching footballs, but it's not—it's not, it's not uh, a sport which you know historically China has, hasn't been much into sport into into uh, football. Mm-hmm. But it's getting very popular now. You have kids studying early, uh, and, and probably we might we might see China getting better at football in the future.
2: Well, I, I hope so, uh, Angelo. It's a pleasure as always talking to you. You've set us right on a number of things and I'm grateful to you for it. Uh, The poll uh, overwhelmingly thinks that the West are absolute hypocrites on the issue of China and COVID. Just before I go, I want to make some uh, closing uh, observations. I get a lot of abuse uh, from people in America that don't listen properly. They imagine that because I am viscerally hostile to Joe Biden and the so-called Democrats, that that means I'm a supporter of the Republicans and of Donald J. Trump. In fact, neither of those is true. I'm not with either of these two big parties, two cheeks of the same backside. Even if we could agree which was the lesser attractive cheek, I still wouldn't be prepared to choose between them. I'm one of those that calls on. Let me do so again here and now, my good friend Jimmy Dore, to run as a third party candidate for the People's Party. Uh, Of America for a third force to emerge that's what I want to see in America and I'm more than happy to uh, give whatever advice and experience that I myself have to any people of goodwill who want to build that third force as I've said before if my good friend dr. Jill Stein were to be the Green Party nominee again I would of course support her for President of the United States. If Tulsi Gabbard would run as an independent presidential candidate, I would support her. I would not be happy to see Donald Trump back in the White House, but I'd be very, very happy if Joe Biden wasn't. I'd be very, very happy if Kamala Harris wasn't, even if that meant that Donald Trump would... Have another term as president of the United States. You see my point? I regard the US Democrats as the greatest threat to peace on the planet. Without any scintilla of hesitation, I say that to you. I believe that the world is much more dangerous with Biden and Harris and the Democrats in power, and therefore, I'd be happier if anybody could replace them as President of the United States. Doesn't mean I've become, despite my red tie, a Republican, at least not a U.S. Republican. It doesn't mean I've become Trumpist or a devotee of the great orange hulk. I'm not either of those things, but I've got to tell you, I think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are a clear and present danger to the American Republic, and even more importantly, from my point of view, they're a clear and present danger to the peace of the world. Avoid World War Three. get rid of Joe Biden. That's all, alas, that I've got time for. But the good news is, God willing, I will be back on Sunday at a different time, 7pm UK time. That's the usual Sunday time, but different to this time. And I'm doing everything I can to find a sponsor for the second hour of the show. Help me, please, with that. Good night.